Let's learn. Let's learn. We're holding in Parshas Emor. We're going to be starting really towards the back of the Parsha today on page 682. The, the first half of the Parsha, which we're not going to be addressing, talks a lot about the laws of the Kohanim and various things addressing them specifically. But the back half of the Parsha, beginning with Perak Chav Gimel, the 23rd chapter, has to do with all of the Yom Tovim, the Chagim, the festivals, and specifically various korbanos and offerings that are brought on all of them. So what I'd like to do is uh, do a little brief overview and then zero in on two specific points of, uh, of this particular section. Again, so on page 682, if, if, if you look, 682, 682. You might. Not the beginning. Yes, yes. <laughs> I guess if, if you look on the left hand side, again, you'll see the little English headlines on the left, which we'll just use as a guidepost as to what's being addressed. So you see the beginning, we have the headline for the festivals. If you uh, flip back onto the right hand side of your page, the very first thing the Torah discusses here in Pasuk Aleph. On the top of the page, 682. Here are the festivals, the Moadim. Here are my festivals. And the first one that's discussed is Shabbos. Very good. You'd think it would be Pesach. The very first thing, For six days you will work on Pesach Gimel. Verse 3, okay. six days you will work. Uvayom hashvi'i, Shabbos, Shabboson, Mikra Kodesh, Kol Molochololo, Tasu, Shabbos, Ilashem, Bechomosh, So before we introduce Yantiv, the first thing that we talk about is Shabbos. This is a pattern throughout Chumash. There are numerous times whenever the Torah discusses Yantiv, before it gets into the details of Yantiv, we introduce Shabbos. Much to discuss exactly why that is, but the Torah always wants to link the observance of Shabbos to Yantiv, even though they are similar in many regards and they are different in many regards. Uh, one of the most primary ways we'll just touch on and then we'll move on to what, we, what I really want to touch on today. Shabbos has the element of it comes when it comes, whether we're ready for it or not. Meaning nobody has to declare Shabbos, not a Beisdin, not a Sanhedrin, not witnesses who see the new moon. The sun sets on Friday... It's Shabbos, like it or not. I lit candles, I didn't light candles. I made Kiddush, I didn't make it. doesn't matter. Yantiv, now the way that we practice it is similar, but the way that it was supposed to be done required witnesses coming when they would see the new moon. They would come to Yerushalayim. They would declare, we saw the new moon, it's Rosh Chodesh. When based in, when the Sanhedrin would declare it to be Rosh Chodesh, now we knew when Yantiv would be. If witnesses, if somehow the Sanhedrin did not declare Rosh Chodesh, the whole system would be off because Yantiv doesn't happen on its own. It requires the Sanhedrin declaring the Rosh Chodesh to kick into motion the idea of, of Yantiv. And they come from fundamentally different places. Shabbos, so to speak, coming from above. It is, whether you like it or not, you're ready or not, the seventh day of Shabbos. Yantiv is a partnership. It requires... The Sanhedrin, it requires witnesses coming to Yushalayim, 
testifying, Sanhedrin declaring it, and then it becomes Yantiv. So there's a lot to talk about the different ways in which they come about, um, but that is the, the differences, the, the starting point of the differences. Well, what about Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is like Yantiv. In other words, that is the same element. When the previous Rosh, the previous month is always 29 days, so the previous, but even, even, even Rosh Hashanah also required the new witnesses to come and declare it to be, they didn't know when Rosh Hashanah was going to be until the witnesses showed up. Half the day would. No, after Yantiv started, you started Yantiv in preparation, not knowing whether or not the witnesses would come the next day. That, that's why we have a two-day Yantiv of Rosh Hashanah. That's a whole other talk, not for now. But in any case, just just for just for purpose, like the difference with Shabbos and Yantiv, there are many then differences between them. Of course, in Halacha, the main difference is that on Yantiv you can cook and on Shabbos you cannot, with other variations. Okay, but that's not for our topic today, but just always worth noting, as we begin Yantiv, we, the section of Yantiv we start with Shabbos. Then we have the first Yantiv that's discussed, and that is a couple of you called out. If you have to choose what's going to be the first Yantiv on our list, that's going to be Pesach. Pesach is, is, the, is Rosh Chodesh, the first, first month is Nisan, even though Tishrei is when we have Rosh Hashanah, but the first, when we count months, the first is always Nisan, and Pesach is the beginning, and that's, of course, the first paragraph, which is not for our discussion today, since we're about four weeks past Pesach, so we will, uh, we will leave that. <coughs> right after Pesach, on the second day of Pesach, is a special offering known as the Karban HaOmer, the Karban HaOmer, which is brought on the second day of Pesach, and that kicks off the period that we're in right now called Sviras HaOmer, which we count the 49 days. That's on the second day, so that's the next paragraph describing the offering that's brought on the second day of Pesach, the, the offering of the Omer, which begins that. And the Omer, we've discussed this before, even remember, of what type of grain is the Omer offering brought from? Barley. barley. Excellent. Very good. It's brought from barley. And that is uh, a special offering. That's the next paragraph, which again, we're not going to address in depth because that offering was brought. Today's the 27th day of the Omer. That offering was brought, or should have been brought, if the Beis HaMikdash stood 27 days ago. It was the first day that they would have brought it. And uh, we're in the midst of it. The next paragraph, flipping a page, verse 15, Pasuk Tezvav, is describing the Omer count and then Shavuos, which is we're in right now. This always comes out. We always read about this during Sphira Saomer. So let's take a look at this paragraph in depth. But just before we do that for a moment, if you just flip one page, you will see on the next page at verse Chaf Gimel 23, you see what's next on our list. Right? We did Pesach. We're about to do Shavuos. Then you get Rosh Hashanah. And then after Rosh Hashanah, of course, will be Yom Kippur, which is not labeled there, but it's in verse 26, followed by, in the bottom of the page, Sukkot and Shemini, etc. So this is, as I, as, I, as I mentioned, this is the paragraph of the Yom Tovim. You go through Pesach, the Omer, Shavuos, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. So far, so good. Let's take a look at the paragraph that we're actually in the time period of, since that makes a little bit of sense to spend a moment on that. So we're going to pick up on verse 15, Pasuk Tes Vav, on page 684. So page 684, middle of the page, paragraph break. Pasuk Tesvav, verse 15. Everybody got it? Okay, here we go. Usvartem lochem mimocharas ha-shabbos. And you will count from the day following the, what's referred to as Shabbos, which refers to the day after Yantiv of Pesach. On, on the day after Pesach, you bring the Korban HaOmer. From then, Usvartem lochem, you will count. Miyom haviachem es Omer hatunufa. From the day you brought the Korban Omer, which is second day of Pesach, Sheva Shabbosos Timimos Tihiyana. You will count seven full 
weeks. That's how we count. That's the sphere of summer. We count the days and we count the weeks to make sure that we have exactly all that is going on. So that is the process, the time period that we are in right now. The seven weeks of counting. Um, there, are, there are more chairs. Let's grab some. Yeah, we're on it. We're on it. We're, we're going to bring them in. Um, okay, how long do we count until? Says the Pasuk next verse, Pasuk Tez Zion, verse 16. Admi macharasa Shabbos hashviis until the end of the seventh, the seven full weeks. Tisparucha mishim yom. You'll count fifty days. Rashi points out, meaning on the fiftieth day is when we will do the next phrase. Vikraftem mincha chadashal hashem. You'll bring then a new mincha. So you started with the certain offering, which was built based out of barley. You're going to count seven weeks. And then at the end of the seven-week count, you're going to bring a mincha chadosha, a new offering. Where should it come from? Me, uh, next pasuk yudzayin, mimoshvoseichem taviu lechem tinufa. You're going to bring from your dwelling places, meaning somewhere from within the land of Israel it has to come. You're going to bring lechem tinufa. You're going to bring this bread that's going to be waved. You're going to bake it into chametz. Now, we have discussed this before. There's a prohibition in the Beis HaMikdash. There's a certain two types of products you are not allowed to ever bring on the Mizbeach. Chametz. Anyone remember the other one? It was a honey or fruit-like substance. We don't bring honey and we don't date, like date honey or chametz. The, one of the exceptions is what we just read, that on Shavuos, after the seven-week count, we bring a, a wheat offering from our grain, and we specifically bake it into chametz. The two loaves of bread that are unique to the Shavuos offering are a chametz, um, a chametz offering, and then the Torah goes on to describe all the different types of uh, waving and other animal offerings that are brought together on Shavuot. So there's a progression from barley and the barley grain on the second day of Pesach. Could that be chametz? Yeah. Yes. Come on, man, no. It's Pesach, right? Two reasons why the barley grain that we bring on the second day of Pesach can't be a chametz offering. Number one, it's Pesach. And number two, all offerings were not allowed to be Chametz. So we went from barley that was non-chametz, that was the, the offering that we brought on the second day, that kicks off a seven-week count. At the end of the seven weeks, we bring a flour, a wheat offering that's baked into bread, and specifically chametz bread. So it's a progression from barley non-chametz to wheat chametz. Coincidentally, what day is that seven-full-week count that it culminates on that we bring this. Uh, it's the holiday, of course, of the Chag of Shavuos, which, of course, commemorates the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah. Now, parenthetically, the Torah itself never mentions that Shavuos corresponds to Matan Torah. Now, the Torah says many times there's a holiday. It always says it as seven full weeks after Pesach, or really after the second day of Pesach, when you'll count seven times seven, make a yantiv. The Torah never actually says that the yantiv you're making is because of Kabbalah Satorah. That we make it, we mean we recognize that that's what happened historically. The Torah itself doesn't 
doesn't say that. There's much to talk about exactly why the Torah leaves that out. I'll just mention one comment. I just saw the Kliyakar says, because the Torah doesn't want to highlight one day as being more important than another day as far as our relationship to Torah. Every day is supposed to feel like the day that I received the Torah. Chazal described that many times. Every day it should feel like it's, like it's new. And we, we experience this problem, this challenge, I should say. Meaning, when Shavuos comes, we say like, oh, it's Shavuos. We should be excited about the Torah. It's Shavuos. We should stay up later than usual and learn a little bit. Oh, it's Shavuos. So the Kliyaka says, no, that's exactly what the Torah didn't want to happen, that we only say, oh, it's something to be excited about Torah on Shavuos. So the Torah actually hides the fact that the Yantif is on the day of Shavuos, so that every day should be like, oh, a Wednesday lunch and learn. Amazing! We're going to come, we're going to learn something, and that really should be every day, like it's new and like it's exciting. But there are, there are other reasons to discuss. We'll leave it at that uh, for now. I'm sure on Shavuos we'll have a chance to talk more about that. Why do we count? What does the Torah tell us about why we go through this experience? Right? We know that from the second day of Pesach until Shavuos we count. Seven times seven. There's this whole mitzvah. We're going to go from barley, non-grain, to wheat, and barley, non-chametz, to wheat, and chametz, on the day that we receive the Torah. But why are we doing this? Why do we, why do we have to count? What does the Torah say? What do we read? Anything? Anybody pick up on any hint from the psukim that we read together just now as to why the Torah, we look back at verse 15. You'll count from the day following uh, the day of rest to the day that you bring the Omer, seven full weeks, until the, fi- the end of the 50 days, you'll bring a mincha chadasha. Why, why do I count? If I ask the Torah, why do I need to count? What's the answer? Excellent. Hashem said so. Is there a reason given? No, nothing. Torah doesn't tell us anything about why we do this. Why we go through day by day to count Sfirah Sa'omer just says to count. There's a mitzvah to count. You went, you went through Pesach, start to count. At the end of seven complete weeks, you make another yantiv, the yantiv of Shuas. The fact that it's left open, therefore leaves open a lot of discussion from amongst the commentators to suggest reasons as to why, why are we doing this? And there really, I just want to share with you, there are two approaches that some of the commentators take as to why. Some are more practical, agricultural-based, and some a little bit more uh, spiritual and esoteric. There are those who learn from a practical perspective, if you were a farmer in the land of Israel between Pesach and Shavuos, you are very busy. This is the time of the harvest, starting with the barley harvest and then moving towards the wheat harvest at the end of the seven weeks. And I'm sure some of you have to be a farmer here, right? Someone? No, no one is a farmer? Uh, plants on the windowsills does not count. Um, okay, one of my dreams is to be a farmer in the land of Israel. Mirza Hashem, one day, uh, one day we'll get there. Uh, I'm not very good at it, so I don't know how, how uh, successful I'll be. But uh, I do not grow plants on my window so well, but I try every year and it, does, it doesn't go. Um, but in any case, but farmers are supremely busy between Pesach and, and Shavuot. So there are many who learn that part of the mitzvah of the count is to keep the farmer uh, focused on the fact that there's a yantiv coming and, the, and this is his busyness, this is tax season for the farmer. So from Pesach to Shavuos, he's counting, uh, lest he miss any of the announcements following the moon. He's not paying attention, he's so busy. So there are those who learn just from a pure agricultural perspective that uh, the counting is a combination of 
keeping him on track, as well as, um, as, well as a form of a tefillah. It's a form of a prayer that his work should be successful as he's out there in the fields all day long and he's counting from Pesach, which is, again, barley, to, to Shavuos, his wheat, and that he's, he's focusing on the Omer that was brought as a form of that it should be successful. We bring all of these offerings as a form of a tefillah, as a form of a prayer that his handiwork should succeed and he should be able to, uh, to have what he is. Yeah. Why do you have to count? It? Excellent. So, so that's why the Torah doesn't tell us why. Meaning, the Torah tells all of us, count. Why? So some explain, some explain that are more relevant to farmers. Some explain reasons. Reasons are always separate from the mitzvah. I mean, the mitzvah is? Hashem said so. And we have this, this it, it's really this combination of talking, it's appropriate. Shavuos is coming, this Nasa Venishma. Nasa is, we will do, Nishma is, and from that we have this entire approach to the way that we live, which is, first, Nasa, what do I need to do? I'll do it. I want to be a trustworthy servant. Hashem asked me, Nasa, what do I need to do? I'll do it. But we don't end there. We're not just a Nasa people. We're a Nasa people who then say, Nishma, I want to know why. Tell me. I want to understand. I want to challenge. I want to be better. So one without the other wouldn't work. If there was only a nishma, so then if I started with, I don't know, I'll ask. I'll see if I like it. So then I learn, and then I decide. Does it make sense to me? Doesn't it make sense to me? Do I like this? Do I? No, no, no. We're not nishma-only people. If we were only nasa people, so then we would look like robots. You told me to do something. I do it. Do I understand it? No. Does it matter? No. Do it mean anything? No. I, I just, I was told to do it, so I did it. So we're Anasa first. Anasa first. I'll do. And then a Nishma. I want to understand. I want to learn. I want to, I want to make it meaningful. So within the Nishma, I'm just going to finish that thought. So sometimes reasons that are given over the centuries apply to certain types of people, agricultural or in certain generations make more sense. And then in other generations, they make less. But, but it doesn't matter to us because at first and foremost, we're NASA. This is what I need to do. And that's why, that's why I do it. So many of the reasons and many mitzvahs seem like during certain eras made more sense or, or less sense. But uh, to, the, to the people, but, that, we're, we're, that, but we do it always. It's always true. It's always applicable. Hold on one second. No. No, Lagva Omer is something that came historically much later as the day that the students of Rabbi Akiva who died during this time period stopped dying. But that's, from the Torah's perspective, there's nothing more significant about the 33rd than any other day. The Torah just says to count them straight through. That's all historically much later, yeah. But they didn't become farmers only when they settled in Israel. Yeah, that's right. So in other words... So that's a connection. Correct, also true. Also true. Okay, one last thing I just want to point out. So there are others who learn in the counting something that applies to us not as farmers. Um, on, a, on a different level, the Orachai Makadosh, one of the classic commentators, understands that it's really a counting from Pesach. We need to distance ourselves from Mitzrayim, from the impurity, from the difficulty, the challenge of Mitzrayim, and we're counting away from that like a person who is Tameh, counts the days until they can become Tahar. And so we're counting from the Pesach experience of slavery until the freedom of what we can get to of uh, Shavuos, which is added to in a, in a well-known uh, comment, or often quoted quote, I should say, from the Sefer Achinuch, who uh, describes it as everything is really moving towards counting towards Shavuos. Like, 
We count towards the giving of the Torah with excitement, with every day that goes by, we're a step closer to this great day of the receiving of the Torah, and therefore we are constantly, that, that's the purpose, that like we didn't leave Mitzrayim just to be free, we left Mitzrayim to be spiritually free, we left Mitzrayim to be able to become the kinds of people we want to become, so we have Pesach, free, and then you start counting. Connect that to the day of Shavuos as moving towards that, and that's uh, you know, a, a common theme as we are experiencing as we work through these days, of getting ready, of building up the excitement, of counting up, not counting debt, counting up, where one day, one day past where we were as we move towards that destination, towards the goal of Shuras. Okay, all of that, these are the psukim that we should just spend some time learning about because we're in this time period right now. Okay, back to our big picture. So we started with Shabbos, Pesach, we learned about the actual Omer and then the counting of the Omer, which brings us to Shavuos, and then that's going to be followed by Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Circus. However, we left off, I think, on Pusik, like you had test, we're on page 684 still. Um, on the, let's just pick up on the bottom of Chaf Aleph, the bottom of page 684, verse 21. So after the 50 days have been counted, on the 50th day, you will make that day into a yantiv. Top of the page 686. No malacha, because Shavuos is a yantiv, like Shabbos, Pesach, Sukkis, no yantiv. In all your generate, wherever you live, you make a yantiv of Shavuos. Okay, that concludes the discussion of Shavuos. And then we have one lone odd pasuk that doesn't fit, and that is on the top of page six eighty six pasuk chaf yeah. And when you harvest your crop, lo paas sadcha You may not completely harvest the corners of your fields leaving the corners, the edges of your field for the poor is a mitzvah known as peya. excellent. Peya from the corner. So when you harvest, you have to leave a little bit. And then the poor can come and take it. Continuing in the Pasuk, the leket kitzircha lo silaket, and the gleanings you may not harvest. There's a halacha that if you drop uh, gleanings from your hand, as you harvest them, you have to leave them. As it happens, you know, in those days, there are workers, there are harvesting, things would fall. Anything that falls is left on the ground. You can't go back. Not if, there's a, if it's a certain size, you're allowed to go back and pick it up. But if it's only one or two or three, I can't, if three, I can't remember if three is the number where we say you can't, or that's the last number that you can. Then you leave it for the poor. That's the mitzvah that's taught about over here. Le'ani, la'ger, tasovosam, for the poor, for the stranger, you shall leave them. Ani Hashem Elokechem. Okay, so we have here the mitzvah of how you harvest and how you give gifts to the poor, which is through the corners of your field or through certain gleanings that fall, or if you leave them behind, you leave them. And then we go back onto Rosh Hashanah, Sukkah. And what question would, of course, you have to ask as you're just reading this straight through? Why is this here? Uh, the mitzvah is a beautiful mitzvah, but there are many places where the Torah talks about harvesting, the Torah talks about uh, other forms of giving and taking care of the ani and the ger, the poor and the stranger. And here we have a very distinct section of Yantiv in which we go through Shabbos, Pesach, the Omer, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Shemini Atzeres, and one pasuk right in the middle that says, and by the way, when you harvest your field, don't forget Peah and the, the leket and the, the gleanings you have to leave. In the midst of all this discussion of the offerings 
Again, remember, the specific type of yontiv discussion here is the types of carbon offerings that are brought on Egypt. What's this one Pasuk doing here in the middle of nowhere? Guess who noticed this? Rashi noticed this. Rashi noticed this. Rashi quoting Chazal, the Gemara noticed this as well. The sages noticed this. It's a strange placement. This one pussing in the middle of everything. So Rashi comments, if you want to follow it, it's on the top of, uh, the, in the top of the Rashi, the second line on page 686. If you want to follow it inside, second line. Amar of Avdimi, Rabbi Yaisi. Rashi quotes, Ma ra'ah What in the world is this mitzvah of leaving the corners of your field and the gleanings for the poor? What's it doing in the middle of the holiday section? Pesach v'atzeres mikan, on the one side of the, of the verses in the first half, we discuss Pesach and atzeres and Shavuos, and then Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur on the other side of it. What's in the smack in the middle? L'lamducha, this is to teach you, Shekol hanosein leket shekecha upeya lo'oni, keroi, everyone who appropriately does their field, leaves the corner, leaves the gleanings. For the poor, ma'alin alava ke'ilu bona beisamikdosh, the Torah looks at you for leaving the corners of your field as if you built the Beis HaMikdash and brought all of the offerings discussed in these sections. You brought them. So you say, I don't have a Beis HaMikdash today. What should I do? Leave the corners of your field. If you leave the corner of your field, if you leave the gleanings, that is considered in the eyes of heaven as if you built a base on Mikdash and brought all the offerings upon it that you are required to do. So if you don't, not a former, do you have, that means you have to give tzedakah. Oh, that's where we're headed. Hold on one second. Great question. Were you here before? Were you, this is like, you're like, you took, I can't remember if I did this, if I practiced out loud and you heard everything I was going to say. Okay, now here's the question. I'll ask it as a question. I'll ask, you answered it, but we'll, I'll ask it as a question. Okay, how many different forms of a Jew giving to a needy person, do we have how many different mitzvahs, how many different ways can that be done? So there are two primary ways that the Torah discusses. The first, which we just learned about, which is that I'm a farmer, and I left the corner of my field, the gleanings, I did all that. That's one major way the Torah discusses it. And the other way, of course, is tzedakah. When, when an ani comes to you, a person sticks out their hand and he says, I need hand. Open up your hand and give to him. And those are the two mitzvahs that we have, the two primary forms of what in English we would call charity. We have the, the concept of tzedakah, which is specifically when somebody knocks on your door and says, please help. And we have the mitzvah of peya. I'm a farmer where I leave my fields. On which one do the sages say it's as if you built the Beis Amikdosh and brought offerings? This one. Pay, I leave the stuff of my field. So, the Maral, as we've quoted him often, notes, the Gemara does not say anyone who gives tzedakah is as if they built the Beis Amikdosh. The Gemara only says, as Rashi here quotes, if you leave the corners of your field... It's as if you've built a base of Mikdash. Which begs the question, what's the difference? What's the difference? Now listen to this. Maral says the most unbelievable comment. This is, this will blow you away. When I give tzedakah, there is an, there is an aspect that is absolutely impossible to get away from. And that is, there is a poor person 
staring me in the face who is needy. Correct? That's what it means. The person is here. They're saying, help me. And they stick out their hand and they say, I need help. When you reach into your pocket, you write out a check, you give them cash, whatever you give them. Or they, now they come around with their machines, you could just put your credit card in there. <laughs> whatever it is. You're looking at somebody who has needs and there's an element of chanina, I feel bad, of rachamim. My heart is stirred because nebuch, I feel, I feel bad. That I'm, I, I, I see a person with such needs in front of me. I wish I could help more. I can't. We live in another. Maybe there's so many people I've become a little bit numbed. But when I give to somebody and I put it in their hand, there is an element of, I, I feel bad. There's a rachamim. And that you would do even if there's not a mitzvah to do so. Not just because Hashem commanded you. Now it's a, an element also of, yeah, I, I, I have to do this. I, I feel terrible. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's a different thing. When a farmer leaves the corner of his field, he's harvesting. There's no one there right now. Now, again, it might be that someone's looking from the other side of the fence, but there doesn't have to be. I'm harvesting my fields. I'm gathering my gleanings, and the two gleanings fell. I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) And I look around, and there's no one there. There's no one there. And what does the Allah say I need to do? Leave it. Leave it. I'm I'm plowing. I'm I'm with my thresher. I'm going through, and I get to the end. I'm like, oh, it's another $1,000 worth of crops. (laughs) And I look around, and what do I see? There's no one there. And what do I do? Leave it. Leave it. That mitzvah, that form of giving a gift, why are you doing that? Hashem told me to take care of someone else. And there's not an element of, I feel bad. If anything, it's just the opposite. Because I don't see anyone like, oh, I really want to do this. Okay, I won't. I'll take it for myself. No, I won't take it for myself. I really could use it. No, I'm not. Hashem said to leave it. A mitzvah that's done because Hashem told me to do a mitzvah versus a mitzvah that's done because I feel bad for the person in front of me are different. When the Gemara says it says, if you built a base hamikdash and brought a carbon, why, do, why does the Gemara connect this mitzvah of tzedakah to bringing a carbon? What is a carbon? Carbon's expensive. It's a whole animal. Hmm. And, and the, the concept is, I'm giving something of myself. I'm coming to the base of Miklash and I'm giving it Tasha. He doesn't need my animal. I'm giving of myself because of a relationship. Whenever I do a mitzvah and then I have my own personal agenda, oh, I feel terrible. So then it's just, it's not the same as when I bring a carbon. When I bring a carbon, there's nothing else other than me and Hashem, and our relationship. And I'm giving of my time, and my money, and my resources to come, and to develop that. When I leave Peya, when I leave the corners of my field, and the gleanings, and I don't see a hungry face in front of me, and I do it anyway, that is because Hashem told me to do this, and I'm going to do it. Versus when that person's at my door. I'm not telling you not to give when they're at your door. You should give and you should give generously. But just note that there's an, a part of us that's doing it because of how bad I feel for the situation. And, I, and the proof to that, by the way, is 
You all know that you give more based on how bad you feel about the situation. We measure up. Like, do we really, like, what's the situation? Do I think it's real? It's not real? How important is it? When it pulls our hearts, when it pulls our kishkas out, we give more. If it just is because Hashem told us to give tzedakah, why does it matter how much my kishkas are being tugged? I, I have a person in front of me with a need. I should take care of it. Because that's not how it works. You know, my standard need is whatever it is, $18.36, whatever your needs are, 180 And when it pulls my kishkas, I do more. Because the mitzvah is wrapped up in my own experience. Leaving peya and the corner of the field is a mitzvah of, I don't know where this is going. Which is why, what does the Rambam say is the highest form of tzedakah? Giving to somebody who doesn't know that you're the one who gave it, and you're the one you don't know to whom it's going. It's the highest form. It's because Hashem told me, my money is not my money, it's his money, and he told me to take care of others with it, and I do so. Not because I'm going to get anything out of it, I don't get any recognition, and I'm not, I don't even see the smile on the face. All of that, those are good things. And we, I encourage you to, the more we give to see the smile, it's great. It's just not on the level of a carbon. A carbon is, it's just me and Hashem. There's, not, there's nothing else. It's my taking my resources to develop a relationship. The form of tzedakah that's closest to that is, is the field. So in answer to your question, I don't have a field. Okay, so we don't have a field there. So give tzedakah, sure, yes. And we try to give in the most anonymous way, in, a, in every way, because that parallels that the most that we can. But we have what we have, and we just, it's always just great to recognize uh, the situations that we're in. Okay, so, we, so when we do a mitzvah, sometimes we have a, an agenda and we get something out of it. Okay, it's true. It just doesn't create the same level as a korban. That's the level of these mitzvahs of peya and shikha, the corners of our field, where we really have no idea uh, who we're giving to. And uh, that's how the Torah really wanted us to give our tzedakah. It, it, this the idea of taking a tenth, like we do today, is because we don't have fields, so we take a tenth. But the farmers, used to, this is how they gave their tzedakah. They left the corners of their field, they left their gleanings, and it was just anybody can come. Can you, I took, it's such a crazy thing for us to imagine, uh, but just, it's worth it just as we conclude this, working the whole season on your crops, and then just leaving things, and just hefker. I didn't want just people come in, strangers walking through your field, picking your crops. It is such a different experience than the way we give tzedakah, where they come and knock on the door, and they give us their, their, the, the, the pitch, and then we decide how much to give. It's a very different form, and the money that we're giving is not our handiwork. It's not like we're taking things that we worked on. It's like we work, we earn money, and then we give some away. The farm, this is what he just worked the whole season on, and he just leaves some of it. Just leaves the gleanings. And anyone, they just come and they take. Totally different form of giving, and that's a form far closer to the idea of a carbon of a person giving of himself. Yeah. Is that instead of maaser? Because maaser was, was the crops. You gave truma first to a Kohen, right. then you gave maaser to a Levi, and then on every third and sixth year, you gave maaser to the poor as well. But I'm saying that for a farmer, is that considered his maaser? Yeah, he did that, it's the other way around. In other words, that's really what the Torah says. We who don't have that, we do my. It's, 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 so even if, it's, so it, it's technically not measured, but it's just his. It, it, it wasn't because beyond his payah, he would then, from the crops that he did harvest, he would give a 50th to a Kohen and he would give a tenth to a Levi and then another tenth to the poor. 
But he certainly didn't then need to take Meiser beyond. That was, that was his, his Meiser. And today we give Meiser um, because we, we don't have, we're not an agricultural society. We don't have, uh, we don't have the crops. Yeah. To the question that why is this pursuit exactly here, could it be a hint to be as a Mashiach? Because we know that through exactly this mitzvah, Good came about, and the is coming from him. Nice, uh, it could be. That's a nice thought. You know, the through we just finished the, the paragraph. It's in or coming after is Shavuos, which is the a lot of the the hints of uh, Mashiach through that. So maybe, maybe very nice, like building the base of Mikdash. Nice thought. Is that why they read Megillus Rosh? We do read Megillus Rosh time also. It has to do with the harvest, it has to do with Mashiach, a lot of connections. Chesed, like the Chazal find a lot of connections between Rosh. Yeah, exactly. Also gleaning the field, like many connections. That's exactly right, yeah. Maybe it's the times that we live in now, but when somebody comes to my door, I like... Correct. We, we, the system is a broken system uh, of how we give stuck. It's a broken system. You know, the needs are great and, and trying to figure out who the real needs are and making sure our money goes to the right place. And there, there are people who are not honest. I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave with one. Of the, I've said this many times over the years. I can't remember if I've said it in this form or not, but I'll, I'm sure I will in the past. There's a Gemara that says you should be very grateful to the scandalous tzedakah collectors out there. Be grateful. Give them, give them thanks. So the Gemara says, why should I give thanks to the swindlers? Why, thanks? The Gemara says, for a very simple reason. Because if it were not for the swindlers out there, the dishonest tzedakah collectors, after 120 years, when we would get up to Shemayim, and they would say, somebody knocked on your door, and you didn't give him according to your means. You turned this person away without even answering the door. You gave this person pennies when he needed so much more. How would you answer after 120 years? The only answer we are going to have is, I wasn't sure he was honest. I wasn't sure it was a real need, and I have a responsibility to take care of my tzedakah money to make sure it goes to the right places. So the Gemara says, be grateful that there are swindlers out there, because if there weren't, we would have no answers after 120 years why we weren't as generous as we should have been. And the only answer we'll have is, I, I didn't know if it was real. I didn't know if it was going to a good place. And the reason why we don't know is because there's, unfortunately, there's some dishonest people out there. There have always been dishonest people. And the Gemara already says, be grateful for them. Because it's because of them that we'll have legs to stand on on the Day of Judgment, why we weren't as generous as, uh, as we could have been. Okay, in any case, the pleasure of learning together. We'll see you all next Wednesday. I am not here, but... I have a replacement. Uh, one of our rabbinic interns will be here. So there'll be a class next Wednesday. There will be tuna fish and egg salad. It just, it won't be, uh, well, I, I personally won't be here. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>